Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. The baptism of Jesus is uh, one of the only events in the Gospels that's recorded in all four Gospels uh, in Scripture. Uh, so the Holy Spirit would have us know that this is a very important event. Uh, Christmas isn't even, the, the Christ's birth is not even recorded in all four Gospels. Uh, the baptism of Jesus comes up every year in the lectionary. If you grew up in the Wisconsin Synod, the Wells, uh, you may recall that the baptism of Jesus uh, comes up in the lectionary at the beginning of Epiphany. Uh, but here in the ELS, our forefathers in the Norwegian Lutheran Church uh, place the baptism of Jesus at the end of Epiphany, right before Lent, three days before Ash Wednesday. And so at least in most years, that's when we celebrate it. And there's no wrong time or, or place to celebrate it. But I do really like having it here, right before Lent. Because immediately after Jesus is baptized, he's called into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. And this is the very thing that we begin Lent with, hearing next Sunday. In Lent, we are called to join Jesus in this time of fasting and temptation here in this wilderness, knowing that he has first done this for us. And it's really profound that the only thing that Jesus carried with him into the wilderness, into this incredibly difficult and painful experience, the only thing Jesus had with him was his baptism. I mean, if you are going on a 40-day journey, just think of everything you'd want to take with you. We came back from uh, being gone for 10 days. And, I mean, if I forgot my toothbrush, it would be like the worst thing in the world. But Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days with absolutely nothing. No food, uh, no, no clothes, but the clothes on his back. And he's going there not just where wild animals live uh, with no protection, but where the devil is. The devil who prowls around like a roaring lion looking to devour Jesus. All Jesus is armed with is his baptism and the word of God still dripping wet from the waters. Now, most of American Christianity is completely drained, uh, if you will, completely drained baptism of all of its significance or power or meaning. In some circles, uh, baptism is reduced to your personal decision, uh, which is the most important thing. And baptism then becomes a sign of your faith, of your commitment, your choosing Jesus. And in this, God becomes the passive one. You are the main actor. But it makes sense because we love being the main actor, right? We love being the main character in the story, don't we? I mean, how many self-help books have been published in the last 20 years, all claiming that they've figured out how you can unlock your full potential in life and live your best life? Uh, but have you ever considered if, if those self-help self programs actually worked, uh, that 
the first one would have been the final one. And so they're all clamoring to, to have the answer. And all most are, are faith without God. It's faith without God. And it's circular, it's self-absorbing. The strength uh, to, to any problem is, is where? In, within you, right, for most of those. But what if it's not? What if you don't have the strength? As a pastor, I'm, I'm often with those who are suffering or going through a difficult experience or a, a difficult time in their life. Uh, going through some difficult temptation. And I often hear others who are with them, and well-intentioned, uh, try to, to try to comfort them, saying, uh, well, all you need is faith. All you need is faith. And again, and this is a well-intentioned response, but, but faith by itself, on its own, is worthless. See, you can actually have faith without God. You can have faith in yourself. But that's not saving faith. It's a false faith. Saying all you need is faith is, is like saying to someone uh, who is starving from hunger, all you need is food, but their hands are empty. When we Lutherans talk about faith alone, or sola fide, we don't mean that all you need is faith. We mean that faith alone saves, as opposed to anything that you or I can do. But faith needs an object. Faith needs something to cling onto, to trust in. Faith needs something outside of me. Because faith is passive. Faith cannot do anything. Uh, faith saves or justifies not by what it does, but by what it receives. Faith, uh, I, I often tell my, my confirmation students, is like an open hand, uh, like, a, like a bowl that you're receiving in. And so faith receives Christ. Faith receives God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Faith receives, and faith cannot receive what God does not first give. This is why faith needs baptism. Because what God gives in baptism is a promise. It's not empty. It's a promise. It's a reality. And it's always present. Mark 16, 16 says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Not he who believed and was baptized. Right? Faith is always in the present. He who believes, and so is baptism. It is always present. It's always true no matter what, no matter what happens. No matter when it happens, if you were, uh, if you were a baby when you were baptized or, or a grown adult coming to the waters. It's true no matter whether it happened quickly in a sink somewhere or an elaborate ceremony in church. And it's true no matter who it happened by, a regular guy off the street, a deacon, a priest, a pastor, or even John the Baptist himself. As long as you received the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have been given a promise in your baptism. You didn't find or choose God. 
he found and chose you. And because that is true, because that is God's promise to you, and it is always present, it means that you and your faith are never alone. Think about what Jesus gives. Think about when Jesus gives the promise and the command to go baptize. To go baptize all nations in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What does he say after that? And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan River, he is baptized to fulfill all righteousness, as he tells John. In other words, to complete it, to fulfill it, to finish it, to finish the work. What Jesus is doing here in his baptism is being bathed in the waters of your and my sin. In this moment, he is coming under every sin, every trial, every temptation that you or I or any Christian has ever or ever will experience or suffer or endured. We are not exceptional in our suffering. Here, Jesus is uniting himself to us, to me, to know and feel exactly what we suffer and feel. And not only that, but he will go, he will take all of that sin through the desert to Jerusalem to the cross to fulfill all righteousness, to finish the work, never once giving into temptation, all so that he can deliver us from evil. Jesus is united with the Father's will. And so you are baptized. When you are baptized, you are baptized into a promise. You also are united with Christ. St. Peter connects baptism with Noah's flood in our epistle lesson that we read earlier. And of course, it rained for how many days? 40 days, right? Another Lent connection. And for months, Noah and his family were alone on the ark, being battered by the raging waves outside of it, and and no doubt, uh, not to mention the many temptations they endured inside of the ark. Uh, Temptations to doubt and despair, depression. But the water saved Noah and his family. Not because they did anything, but because God was with them. That water saved them. Their faith clung to what God had promised. The rains will end, and they will be saved. So Peter writes, and corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. It's not the removal of dirt from the body, but the guarantee of a good conscience before God through the resurrection of Christ Jesus. And then Peter says, he, Christ, was, went to heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. This is a detail I probably wouldn't have picked up on uh, if it were not for the events of the past week. Your baptism means something because Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. 
Now, some claim that the right hand of God is a specific location uh, and that God, uh, as true man, that Jesus, as true man, can't, because he's there, he can't also be here with us, and especially in the sacraments. But that's not what we see here. Rather, St. Peter shows to us that because Christ ascended above the heavens, he also truly fills all things, being present everywhere, not only as God, but also as man, for the good of the church, for the good of those who are baptized. The same man who came under the waters and was baptized, uniting himself to you, that same man now rules uh, from sea to sea uh, to the ends of the earth for the good of the baptized. There is no authority above Jesus. Not Russia, not in, in the United States, not even in heaven. <clears throat> angels, authorities, and powers are the three ranks or are three ranks of angels. You heard about another rank of angels, the seraphim last week from Pastor Cuck. The seraphim saying, holy, holy, holy. If they are subject to his rule, how much more so is anyone on earth? And this really lets us know what the real danger, what our real enemy, who our real enemy actually is. It's not anyone on earth, but the devil, who is an angel, a fallen angel. Christ's baptism sent him into the wilderness to do battle against the devil. Our baptism is a declaration of war against this evil one the father of lies, and the murderer of souls. And the devil uses conflict and strife to divide, to break down all rule and just authority on earth because his goal is to get our faith to be alone, to cut it off from its object, to make it circular, to turn it in on itself. He says, look at all of the terrible things happening around us. Look at everything that's gone on in the last couple of years. Look at the war. God can't possibly be in control, let alone love you. The devil tries to make our faith trust in itself or for us to be our own saviors or to trust in princes who cannot save. One pastor described it that when we are baptized, it's as if with one hand, uh, when I'm baptizing, I'm with one hand bringing them into God's family, pouring on the water combined with the promise. But with the other hand, I'm opening a cage for the devil to let the devil out. It was like a bulldog. And before that, that child is baptized, the devil didn't want it. The devil already had it. But now that they are baptized, that devil is let loose but they still are subject to Christ. The devil is still subject to Christ. Like a bulldog on a chain, which Christ is constantly restraining, constantly pulling back. And so from ancient times, the church <clears throat> has prayed for peace and safety against the devil and for peace and safety amidst war. Because we recognize that 
true peace is something that only God can give. Because again, Christ is sitting at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. We'll pray in a moment an ancient hymn. Grant peace, we pray, in mercy, Lord. Peace in our time, O send us. For there is none on earth but you, none other to defend us. You only, Lord, can fight for us. Have mercy, O Lord. We have a sister church in Ukraine. Uh, if you've uh, been reading your email or, or uh, on Facebook, you've seen uh, some of my updates uh, from our sister church body over there. But we also have a sister church in Russia. And so we pray for safety and peace for those in Ukraine, and we pray for good and just government for those in Russia. And we pray that all would be kept in the grace of their baptism, above all. It may be a long and difficult road ahead, a journey ahead for them. They may be battered from forces all around, but by virtue of their baptism, they are not alone. And neither are you. Your baptism allows you and your faith to follow Jesus. This is the one, that we, one thing that we don't talk about as much as we should. Your baptism actually does something for you. It gives you strength. Strength, that, uh, strength because your faith doesn't, uh, and doesn't need to rely on itself, but on something objective. It gives you strength to walk with Jesus. Strength to live a life as fitting as a child of God. Strength to suffer with Jesus. To pick up your cross as difficult as it may be and to follow him. And finally, strength to die with Jesus. And finally, to live with Jesus. Because your baptism unites you not only in Jesus' death, but in Jesus' resurrection. Your baptism matters not only when you feel it matters or when you remember it, but it matters precisely in times of distress. And it's precisely in those times of distress that your baptism sustains you. When everything else is laid bare, when you have nothing else left, your baptism remains. It is always present. For the baptized, Christ, who is above all heaven, is ordering all things for your good. So for your journey ahead, hold on to the most important thing, to your baptism. Cling to your Savior whose blood has bought you and cleansed you in baptism, and who again to your homeland has brought you. In Jesus' name. Amen.